Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including John S., Kevin B., and Gordon S. Returning to the program today is Mark Haywood. Mark is the president and CEO of Scozinc Mining, a Nova Scotia-focused zinc mine restart venture advancing the Scotia zinc mine, Nova Scotia. Scozinc is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol SZM and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol SWNLF. Mark, welcome back. How are you, sir? Good, thank you, Andrew. Great to be back. Well, Mark, you've been on the program before last December 2020, I believe. So, well, yeah, let's That's skip right. the intro stuff here and I'd like your position Absolutely. first on the zinc market, maybe a little bit on the supply demand side and where you see zinc over 2022. Well, I guess the depths of the COVID-19 shocking last year, or early this year of 2021, have staged an impressive comeback. I think everybody is aware of that, and it's been the best-performing commodity on a 10-year basis. It's made some record-breaking gains, and in the first 10 months of this year, we experienced an overall gain of uh, 24%, so really strong metal prices. We've been able to incorporate some of that into our market, and I think with some of the, the recent pushes on EV and decarbonisation and some of those climate change conferences, it's a uh, commodity, a zinc, that's playing a decent role in the energy cycle going forward. I think that's uh, just the markets continue to be strong uh, with inflation picking up and smelters are reducing their capacity. There's a direct response to the energy uh, spike in energy prices. Uh, we think um, zinc's a uh, in the right cycle for us, certainly as a near-term producer. And how about the zinc junior equities, Mark? They all seem to be well off their highs still. Sentiment for zinc, yeah. you know, junior equities really isn't there. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? And do you think it'll change here soon? I think the TCs have come down considerably, and that's had a major impact on some of the juniors. How their cost structures and how they're driven, of course, operationally is is another matter. You know, particularly underground mines and operations that have been there for a while. It's very hard to change. Uh, commodity prices and TCs had a major impact on that. But then you've got that momentum of those operations and or where they are on the pipeline, uh, whether explorers or developers or near-term producers like us, can they take advantage of some of those opportunities? Some can't. But they're like six years or, or more away from production. And so really it's not going to, you may be looking at another cycle. So I think it depends on where they are, where the juniors are in their pipeline and in their project maturity. So for Skosink, of course, we're a near-term producer. So we could be in production within nine to 12 months of funding, which effectively means that we can take advantage of the next two-year prices and we have an opportunity to potentially lock those in under a hedging or or with um, our off-taker which is of course we're working on so i think there is certainly a mixture i mean the, the majors of you know who are in production they can take advantage of the lower uh, tc prices and the higher spot prices but uh, for somebody like us who's near term i think we have an opportunity to come in there and uh, we're starting up a mine fresh but we've already built so that gives us a greater opportunity to develop 
a low cost basis and take advantage of the overall lower market pricing. And in terms of the zinc price and even lead price, they're definitely in right where we'd, we'd hoped, funnily enough, they would be. In, I think the last time we spoke, I was fairly bullish on uh, zinc prices and the zinc markets in general. And, and that's been great to see that kind of come through, coupled with the low TP, uh, TC prices. And so our PFS is really at uh, still conservative, I think, study. We've used conservative prices in terms of zinc and lead. And we just added in gypsum into our model. And so that's also conservative pricing because in considering the high-grade gypsum. So the project has got stronger. And I think the economics overall for zinc have got better. And we expect the TCs in the long term, although they might come up a little bit uh, in, in the shorter term. as yeah, Some of the smelters, so like in Europe, uh, like NoStar, reduce their capacities and so forth. I think that will probably come up a little bit, but the long-term TC prices are quite, uh, we're forecasting them to be lower. And that's consistent with some of the other operators out there who have obviously done some studies and are looking at the market, same market. Overall, the zinc market is good. This is a good time for us with the updated results of the PFS showing more robust economics. So I think a 12% improvement from the previous study last year, and that's adding in the gypsum and the updated um, metal prices and exchange rates weren't so much in the favour compared to the previous PFS. But all in all, that's created a much more robust project than we had last time in the study. Mark, let's go back and let's talk about the pre-feasibility update numbers in a mm-hmm. moment. Um, I'd like you to highlight those and go mm-hmm. over some of the costs and some of the, the uh, economic components of that study in a moment. But with regards to the zinc market here with the contract market, et cetera, for this particular operation, what's your approach in terms of committing material to be sold at certain prices, uh, you know, the hedge component, uh, the fixed mm-hmm. price component, and some of the contracts. Talk about the contracting market, and then do you mm-hmm. see that some of the production coming out of here, should things be successful, do you see some of that will be available for sale, you know, essentially unhedged? Talk about the market dynamics there and, and how you see structuring this production profile to, to have some leverage to the zinc price, mm-hmm. but then also mm-hmm. firm up the operations as to, for mm-hmm. risk on the downside. We were negotiating with a number of different off-takers. We press released that, some um, four major groups out there. Uh, obviously, I can't say who they are, but so we're working on contracts for them, definitive terms, essentially, um, non-binding at the moment because they are subject to having the teams on site and due diligence. But we see uh, one or two, or hopefully one off-taker for five, ten, or potentially life of mine in terms of that prepaid financing that we need for the operation. And that could be about 25 million, 20 to 25 million US for the project. So that's the bulk of the capital we need. So we see the contract with the off-taker key component of putting the mine back into production. We've also been discussing hedging part of that for potentially two or three years. If you recall the uh, the PFS, the first of three or four years, there's more stripping. Um, we're operating at a higher cost, uh, cash cost, if you like, and that's a more of a critical period. So if we can lock in higher prices, potentially prices above $1.20 zinc, and, and there is talk of $1.30, $1.40, locking in some of those prices, or at least part of them, so upwards of 50% of that, of that pricing locked in, then I think that makes the project even more robust. So that's how we see the contract. In terms of marketing, the off-taker will do most of that, of course, in terms of hedging, 
I prefer to have a hedge with an off-taker, although you know, also in discussions with other, other parties as a separate hedge as well. But I think that's a little bit more risky. And having been through some of that before as a mining engineer in Africa, that was a pretty scary situation, having those margins called. So I think we're being quite mindful about that. And of course, as you know, our chairman, um, he's very experienced in this area and, and working with off-takers and so forth. So we have a, a great team behind me in terms of evaluating opportunities and contracts with off-takers. So I think the hedging at these kind of prices, that's a definite opportunity to obtain the highest price. There is obviously a difference between the benchmark and the spot prices. And so those are some of the things we're looking at as part of those contracts. So in terms of your second question on the PFS numbers, I think they're quite good numbers, actually, considering we just added in the a gypsum into that. Uh, we updated some of the other economics when the capital costs came down a little bit because we tightened up some of the financing. We're looking at Caterpillar financing here, which is uh, very impressed with their opportunity or their deal to supply their mining equipment. So that affected the, the capex, reduced that down a bit, but also the operating cost um, changed a little bit on the mining side, but everything else pretty much stayed the same. Except now we have the added benefit of the gypsum coming in there. And gypsum, if your listeners would, would realize, it's a very common building product, wallboard and other specialty products like Plaster of Paris. Uh, we have a high-grade gypsum in our deposit. We mine through the gypsum in order to access the zinc and lead ore bodies. So it's essentially a, a product that, or a, a, an industrial material that we would throw onto the waste dump, which previous operators did. And in the PFS, we stockpile that in preparation for doing this update. So the reality is it holds value. And that crude gypsum price, if you like, on the market price has been between $8.50 and I think last year was $8.60 US a tonne. If we use that price, then, and we have 5 million tonnes of it in our uh, ultimate pit, which we mine through in the first six years or so, that's a nice little revenue stream. And so that's been added in into the updated PFS, which improves the economics. And uh, one, one important aspect of that is that the strip ratio also reduced. So if the PFS went from a strip ratio of about 10 to just around about 7. So optically, that looks better. But also, we get a cash flow over those first four years I mentioned, which were critical for any project starting up. That helps the cash flow risk, if you like, in that period. So this updated PFS de-risked the project again. Uh, not only did the first PFS we put out last year was the first ever mineral reserves, 43101 mineral reserves. We fixed the uh, resource estimate by putting in or validating and putting in all that data into the model. So we had a much larger resource to work with. So the first PFS actually demonstrated very robust economics and it was first ever pit design, first ever geotech done on it. So it was sort of major milestones that I think some investors picked up on and put aside the past, the underground operations back in the 70s and 80s and something to do with water issues. This is a very different operation than it was back then, you know, 30 years ago. That's an open pit operation, long mine life of 14 years. The MPV is kind of unheard of for a project in Canada with such a low entry price of $30 million uh, to get it up and running. Uh, Pre-tax were under the new or updated PFS is $225 million Canadian pre-tax MPV at 5%. And that's a 69% internal rate of return. So that's pretty impressive. And low risk capital, 
low project risk. We're in a great jurisdiction, tier one jurisdiction in, in Nova Scotia. Payback on our $30.6 million capex that we've defined in the, in the latest pre-feasibilities is one and a half years or 1.3 years. So very, very short payback. The project makes $19 million free cash flow in the first year alone, Andrew. So that's pretty impressive and it keeps on going on. Once we get over that first few years of stripping, then the operating cost goes down around about 40 cents a pound. So when you're looking at a zinc price of over $1.20 or even let's say it's over a dollar, you're still making a nice margin on your operating costs for a long time. And that's part of the de-risking we looked at in terms of this uh, disorganization. So that's really the update on the PFS. It definitely improved it. 12% improvement on the previous PFS last year. And most importantly, this is one of going to be the lowest cost operations in, in Canada, I believe, and potentially in the world in terms of the percentile of other operators. So that's all in sustaining cost or ATSIC is around 52 cents a pound US. So this is a major, a major opportunity, I think, for investors to uh, take advantage of, of the work we've done now in, in cleaning up some of the past and, and really analyzing. We use very good consultants, uh, very good independent experts to review this and provide that validation, I think, that the market wants. Hence the uh, NI43-101 technical report update. It wasn't just an internal document. This is something that's been obviously reviewed extensively and had that stamp of approval on the confidence. We're very obviously proud and impressed with the results. Appreciate that. There's a couple suitors I can think of here that it's just interesting at this point that they haven't woken up to this, or maybe there's something behind the scenes here that maybe they don't like it. But talk about for a sec, how confident are you, given your experience, how confident are you that you guys hit these metrics as stated in this updated PFS? And then couple that question with do you guys intend to finance based on this PFS that you've just released or is the plan to get to some type of definitive study? Is that required at this point? I'm very confident in in this PFS, these PFS numbers. This is our second one and we updated it. And we, the reason why we uh, spaced them out is that it gives us time to further analyze pricing, uh, look at other opportunities that could improve the feasibility. And as you know, as a mining engineer, I've done this many times, uh, you know, operated mines, and it's really just a detailed analysis and, and having confidence yourself that this de-risking the process. We've uh, gone through, I guess, a lot of targets and analysed them, looked at what we can achieve from a mining point of view, from a processing point of view, uh, and then just general cost point of view. Are we right in there? Are we using the right fuel prices, for example, considering where the market is now? We've increased those by 20% in this latest PFS. We looked at the ocean shipping costs um, and we increased those as well to be in line with where the market is now. Maybe they're going to go down in the future. That's also, I guess, kind of out of our control to extent. But I'm very confident in these, in the numbers, in the, in the metrics we can hit. I think it's a very straightforward project. It's one of the easiest, I think, projects in terms of open pit operation. We've, we've, Looked at all the previous operator, it's Acadian Mining back in 2008, 2009. Uh, we looked at uh, all their operational history and issues that uh, they had. And that's part of the $30 million that we're putting into the project before we start commercial production. Because I want those things fixed. And they're quite straightforward to fix. And, and the reality is it's just putting in new equipment, which has a warranty. You're de-risking 
all the different stages of the operation. Not only from a mining point of view, we're using a split feet of haul trucks to ensure that they can operate in different ground conditions. We're having a, a large stockpile in between the mine and the mill. That's a disconnect. And, and then, of course, in the processing side, we're putting some $12 million into the mill to for new crushing circuit, upgrades to the grinding circuit, upgrades to the flotation circuit, and then a brand new dewatering circuit, and then a concentrate handling operation as well. So these things, essentially, although the mill is still pretty much a straightforward, you know, it's a concentrating opportunity. Uh, it's crushing and grinding and, and floating the zinc and lead from the host rock. That's a fairly straightforward operation. All we're doing is just uh, putting the latest technology, if you like, into that uh, to resolve some of the issues in the past. So, yes, I'm, I'm very confident that this is the right thing to do. Your other question, in terms of financing, the feasibility study, if you look and closely at it, it's it almost reads as a feasibility study. And and the reason why we did that, I've done uh, said like PFSs and feasibility studies before, and what we wanted to do is put a level of detail in there in terms of planning that it could easily switch over to a feasibility study if we fully activated the mill. Now, the mill has got power to it. It's got water to it. The lights are on. We just haven't turned over some of the large equipment. That's why it was a pre-feasibility study. We may contemplate after we've got the financing in place and the offtake in place to turn it on and do a quick uh, updated pre-feasibility study, which would be a feasibility study, because then we can reduce the uh, some of the milling costs, capital costs margins. So it's really just the, the, uh, the contingency on that. The contingency on the pre-feasibility study, as you know, is uh, plus or minus 20%. And that was only in some of the refurbishment of the mill, because we, we didn't fully power up the mill from Masenko's point of view. I think that's an opportunity and potentially news flow uh, later on next year, but we fully believe that the off-takers are quite satisfied with the pre-feasibility study as it stands now. They have the models, um, they're working through that under uh, under our NDA, and that I think that will result in the financing opportunity we need. Coupled with the equity side, which we're working as well on with a number of number of groups in, in Canada to, to fund the balance. And what that balance is, that's what we're working on. I, I fully believe that the, the economics of the project lend itself that most of the financing should be on the off-take, off-take prepay. And so really it's just a, an additional capital for the comfort of the off-taker that the company has additional cash in the treasury to take care of other incidental expenses that, that might come up. Mark, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the market here is looking for that financing to probably be mm-hmm. announced. I think that's exactly. probably some of yep. the holdout by the market. And I think yep. that occurs on a re-rate basis. It seems to occur that once financing is completed, then the re-rate occurs during commissioning, most likely in site works. So I think that's yep. the area of the mm-hmm. potential good upside uh, component. Mm-hmm. I, I want to come back to the financing stuff mm-hmm. in more detail in a moment, but cover the capital structure in terms of the shares outstanding to date. Um, who are the major shareholders you can point out on the roster and also just re-highlight the cash on hand? So we have 17 million shares outstanding. So that's pretty tightly held, as you would imagine, for a company that has a project with an NPV of over 200 million. So there's a real disconnect between enterprise value, if you like, and, and the market cap. So tight capital structure, 17.8 million shares. 
Uh, there's some uh, three and a half million warrants and, and some options and so forth. We did three financings since I joined at, at 30 cents, 40 cents, and then just recently 60 cents a share. So we're cashed up. We have about 1.3 in the treasury. Our major shareholders of FanCamp Exploration who came into the, the last financing. And as you know, we sought to do a merger with them. Uh, they had the cash, if you like, and we had the project and we're both undervalued in the marketplace. So that would have been a great opportunity. Unfortunately, obviously due to circumstances beyond our control, they FanCamp weren't able to close. Uh, but as a shareholder and a key investor, they were very keen to be party of, of that. So they earn 13% of the company right now. Mr. Eric Salzberg, he's uh, in Toronto. I know him quite well. He earns about 11%. That's in the circular we just disclosed recently, but obviously you've been filing on the CDAR as that as well. Our chairman, uh, Mr. Ashwa Mara, he owns just under 10%. And management and board, we have a significant percentage as well. We also have legacy shareholders, Korea Zinc, MRI Trading, and the estate of Lloyd Miller. And the rest is being held by other high net worth uh, investors and friends and family and so forth. So if you like, out of the 17.8 million shares outstanding, we know a lot of the owners of those. And that's been demonstrated in our recent uh, meetings, uh, annual general meetings and EGM. We have a good following. We don't have a lot of liquidity. I'd say that most of those shareholders are, are holding on. Uh, to their stock and looking for those catalysts, as you mentioned, Andrew. The announcement of the financing, I think that's, I'd like to say that's imminent, but it does depend on market conditions and, and pricing and so forth. But I think this is the time to do it. And as you would appreciate, having now PFS out to the market is now this is the time to do that. Zinc prices are good and, and so forth. I think the market situation is ideal for that. So we're getting a lot of interest on that and I expect to do some type of financing uh, probably going to be a private placement and so you know, we'd be happy to welcome some of your investors into that um, we, we will announce that of course when it's uh, imp- approved and ready that's part of our strategy and that's what we've previously announced to the market that once we have the pfs in uh, update in place then we're going to be uh, looking targeting the financing for the project and that's an important point too is that with the fan camps investment and us running on a fairly low budget, we have a good cash in hand and that's pretty much reserved for the corporate uh, side of it. So all we're doing is just looking for the financing for the project, which is a nice thing to do. Like you're looking for a specific, your investment or the private placement dollar goes into this, putting this project into operation, which has a very short lead time to commercial production. And then obviously a free cash flow, as I mentioned, of $19 million in the first year, that's Canadian. Um, so uh, you can see where your dollar would go and hopefully that financing and then probably early next year, uh, the announcement of the off taker, I think would, would be another catalyst. And then of course, you've got the other opportunities, as I mentioned, whilst we're doing, we're going through and we're working on the mill, we're engaging the workforce and we're starting mining. That's an opportunity that we might um, update our PFS with a feasibility study. One important thing to note is not only the tightening up the capex, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there with the 30 million. That's where we're also working away, and that may not require a feasibility study, but in essence, it's about tightening down those numbers, removing some of the contingency, and maybe we'll get under 30 million. But the other thing that some people would be aware of is our gypsum is a high-grade gypsum, and that lends itself to upgrading. 
And when you upgrade gypsum, it's a very small calcite plant. And the standard price for that kind of product is about $35 a ton US. Whereas in the PFS, we only used $8.60, which is a crude price for gypsum, which is around about the 85% range. So I think that's another opportunity that we'd look at um, in terms of the gypsum product. There's also anhydrite in, that we mine through, which is associated with the gypsum. It's an evaporate material. That also has a potential to attract some revenue as, a, as another byproduct. So I think there's a lot of opportunities that we can add into the equation that would attract finance, but also on, on the basis of the pre-feasibility study now, we think it's a detailed document and any of our listeners, I would be happy to walk through more of the technical report when it comes out very detailed document i think it's over 300 pages on the 2020 pfs the updated pfs should be out before new year i think the deadline is uh, 30th of december i'd expect it to be out in sometime in december anyway because it's just an, an update how about mark can you confirm for the audience uh, is ross Beatty still a shareholder i can't confirm he's a number of shares he has but yes he's definitely a shareholder okay you yeah. mentioned the FanCamp expiration debacle, which we don't need to rehash <laughs> it, but definitely it costs the company about 10 months of time. Um, yeah. You know, maybe let's just yeah. call it your loss of time, but you did get some capital out of it. You got a break, you got an investment. Maybe they're going to invest in the financing for the, uh, the construction. Can you give the audience any certainty as to when you see that financing would certainly be in place and would this be a stair step you mentioned a placement potentially coming up for existing shareholders and some new folks would you stair step your way to getting that 30 million and do you really see that everything is in place by say the end of the second quarter 2022 okay uh, yeah on fan they certainly tried hard i've got to give kudos to uh, rajesh sharma and his team they wanted it to happen. They did an extensive due diligence on the project, rather, and they loved it as, as we do. And so, unfortunately, the dissident group uh, interfered with all that. And I think I can't probably say much more about it, but I'm very happy to have uh, FanCamp as investor. Honestly, I don't know whether they would come in again. We certainly won't look at a, at a merger with FanCamp again. I think that was the shareholders, of, like many of us, I guess, uh, over a year's worth of waiting, we've just moved on from that but as a cornerstone investor maybe as a follow-up investment into that i would certainly invite them to it i think to a private placement which we probably do very soon andrew uh, that's with the pfs coming out now and the report will be later on but really the results speak for themselves this is a very good opportunity to complete the financing before christmas and that's our focus now We've had a lot of interest in the results. I think the timing is good for that. We need between five to 10 million in terms of satisfying some of the potential offtake conditions. And, and that gives us an opportunity to complete the bond process on our, on our second EA, which is requiring about $5 million in bond. And also we're looking at changing it to a surety anyway. So it's really just a question of timing on that. So we intend to do the financing very soon. I couldn't tell you exactly when we announced that, but I can say it will be very soon. We think the timings are right. We've had a lot of interest from the street in Toronto and, and just generally from shareholders reaching out and wanting to participate in that, that financing. Because we're a Canadian project, I have a Canadian project, we're a Canadian company, uh, we have an opportunity to take um, advantage of um, 
CDE, Canadian Development Expense. And so that uh, essentially is a flow through for a lot of Canadian investors, which is very attractive. We're looking at getting a ruling on that from an accounting firm just just coming up now. And once that's done, then we expect to announce a private placement. Good to know. And back to the fan camp component, that was just a disappointment. The dissident group is a joke. It didn't work out, but you know what? Let's move on here. Now, you mentioned that the equity portion of the financing is probably going to be a little smaller than what would normally happen here because of the offtake and then also potential yeah. debt, et cetera. On this financing component, will you at some point here during the process, will you extend an offer to all existing shareholders for the opportunity to participate or is it only specifically um, private placement folks only? Uh, just to answer your first question, in terms of the total $30 million, uh, we need, that's earmarked specifically for uh, the project and to put that into production. So we're very tight on those numbers. So it's not as if we're raising, we need to raise additional capital uh, to fund you know, corporate G&A and so forth. So this is, of the 30, 30. $30.6 million, including the contingency, the offtake is going to take most of that. And really, we're probably looking to 5 uh, to 10 from the equity market, and it will depend on pricing, of course. But my intention is to go to, uh, go to, as a private placement, go to the market, go to our friends and family investors who who basically have missed out on on other uh, opportunities to come in on on it in a meaningful way. I mean, you can buy on the market when you respite the price, and because there's just no volume out there, and that's uh, one thing we're working on, part of the the, the uh, liquidity opportunity for it. But we'd welcome some new uh, investors into uh, the company that who understand what what we're doing is pretty logical pretty straightforward we're just working through the strategy as i've mentioned before the pfs was a update was a key component of that and de-risking the project even further by adding in the gypsum and like using current exchange rates and so, so forth so that i think that's given a lot of confidence to investors and certainly the ones that i've spoken to and the off takers as well this is a pretty straightforward project. It's been overlooked largely because of the uh, mineral resource um, estimation omissions uh, that occurred back in 2014, 2015. And so they really, you know, they had, had such a small pie. It was only so many things you could do to it. So we obviously reset that, revalidated all the data, and that's given confidence to go forward. And that's really where we are now, Andrew. Um, yeah. I think the equity right now is this is the right time to do that. We know that, as I mentioned before, I'm very confident on the 30 million. I think that's the the right number. We're looking to raise a little bit more than that if there is interest there, just to say that, okay, we've got, let's say, $35 million in the Treasury that's combining with the offtake prepay. And so if we only need 25 at the end of the day to get the project done, then there is element of satisfaction that we've obviously come under budget. I think there's also opportunity in there to do some clever things, and one of those might be the calcite plant uh, for the gypsum, which would be about two to three million put in place, but then it would up- upgrade the gypsum from, if you like, um, $8.60 a tonne to over $35 a tonne. So that would affect the, of course, the revenue opportunity, the byproduct, the value of the byproduct, but also you know, improve the, my gut feel would be improved the MPV over, you know, close to 300 at 5%. So that's, and of course, the return on the IRR would be, we go stellar as well. So these things, I think we're just going forward and we're working on them. And that's helping derive, drive that confidence in the project that we're continually looking at de-risking that, 
We've got an experienced team on site and we're mind builders and mind developers. We've done this before. It's just another uh, opportunity to put a very straightforward project into production for long term. With my question, I'm gearing it a little bit more towards for all existing shareholders to participate. You've got two routes. You've got the existing shareholder yeah. exemption, and then also yeah. you've got rights offering, which would allow mm-hmm. everybody that's on the roster currently who holds shares to potentially participate under those uh, two vehicles, plus yeah. the private placement component of that vehicle, maybe with a shortfall that comes in there as well. And so what I was getting at mm-hmm. is, will there be an opportunity for existing shareholders that have already been here? Uh, for, mm-hmm. for probably more than a year, certainly mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of folks, would they be able to potentially participate and uh, have that opportunity through some of those vehicles that could go in parallel to the uh, private placement? It won't be, a, I don't think it would be a formal rights offering, but we'll certainly maintain an opportunity for investors to reach out and participate. And new investors who uh, would qualify as an accredited investor or on other other basis. So definitely as an opportunity for new investors and existing investors to participate in our upcoming finance opportunity. Okay. Our goal here at Mars would be to to bring in uh, everybody that's on the roster and, you know, Mm -hmm. buying in the open Mm -hmm. market, as you know, right now for this particular equity, it's very difficult uh, to do Mm -hmm. so in any size. Mm We'll leave that for now and see what uh, comes up about with that. And uh, I know there yeah. will certainly be some interest. Um, how about part of this recommissioning activities at Scotia? Yeah. I understand you'll budget some capital towards expiration efforts at the same time to also show some of the upside that is here at Scotia yeah. Mine. What do you think the Pacific target would be there if you had some capital to allocate towards expiration? What would be the target and what would be your expectations? That's a very good question, Andrew. I appreciate your research on that. Not a lot of people understand that we have a number of different exploration prospects as well, not only neighbouring the mine, but within trucking distance to the operation, to the Scotia mine. And we have another couple of prospects up in Cape Britain, uh, which are looking to be very compelling targets. So I think there's exploration, there's near-term exploration potential and opportunity to work those. We've already done a number of years ago, uh, the Eon Loch Lomond project in Cape Britain has had some great surface sample uh, results, both in zinc and lead, and that's booming out as a standalone project or potential ore body in itself. So we'd like to target some of that. Hence a comment I said before about flow through. There is definitely an opportunity on the CDE level for the project but also as a flow-through opportunity for exploring and defining some more of those targets. Some of those are drill-ready. They're similar uh, geology, particularly the Eon uh, Lock and Lawn prospect. It's a similar geology to the Scotia mine in its deposit, which means that it's a carbonate-hosted deposit, high-grade, potentially mill-feed, supplementary mill-feed to the mine. Around the mine, there's a lot of continuity of mineralization. You can see that it's open along strike on both directions, northeast and southwest. So there's some very low cost exploration we could do to uh, improve upon the mine plan. Maybe additional few years. There's certainly some width in the old underground workings that we could uh, target as high grade mineralization. That would be another uh, development opportunity. So there's certainly, uh, it's not as, as if we have to have a standalone team to do this, we can use, we can leverage off the Scotia Mine facilities and to have a team basically, or have a geologist working under that uh, infrastructure. 
So expiration for us is is very cheap, but also a lot of upside because that mill can get pretty hungry. Uh, let's say after the 14 years, there's still opportunities inside that 14 years to improve the head grade, trucking in some high grade mineralization from a long strike or as I said, like nearby um, in Cape Britain. So that's something we're definitely looking at. First things first, though, is you know, we're laser, still laser focused on getting the financing for the operation. That's really what's going to turn the page and re-rate the company is, is having that milestone in place. So I don't want to distract everybody from what we're targeting, which is, of course, the financing and then the offtake. And once that's in place, then there, I think there is a little bit of buffer while we're getting teams mobilized and recruiting to do some exploration work. And that would potentially be in... Q2, Q3 of, of next year. Also, news flow, of course, um, whilst we get to commercial production, I think that's an opportunity as well. Dovetail that with the updated pre-feasibility study that we're contemplating um, after we after we have all the financing in place, and that would help us tighten down some of the capex, but also uh, provide that additional de-risking opportunity. Excellent. No, I appreciate yeah. that. I think that's an important mm-hmm. component here, Mark. Mm-hmm. And if the financing demand is there and this can be done, uh, at least an initial program, it makes yep. sense. And then, of course, you know, mm-hmm. the cash flows, if everything goes as planned, the cash flows mm-hmm. will start to grow off. And that allows some additional work to uh, to grow the mine life, yeah. grow the exactly. profile, et cetera. Yeah. That cash flow scenario, when once you become a producer, even though you're making a small amount of cash flow, rather, relative to the majors, that gives you an opportunity to do those things, as you mentioned, and it's non-dilutive. And that's why a fan camp was so interested in this, because it's a cash cow. Discussion mine may not be, you know, like a super sexy gold, you know, gold and silver mine that's you know, generating you know, 15 or so million dollars a year or whatever. Uh, but this is a, like a solid, low cost, low operation, low cash cost operation project in a tier one jurisdiction that is a cash cow. And when you can easily fund other development and exploration opportunities within the corporation and to grow the company even on that basis. So that's a pretty compelling story. And that's one of the reasons FanCamp pushed for this hard because it's non-dilutive once you get to that point. And that's potentially, let's say, 12 months away from from where we are now, Andrew. So let's, let's say we complete the financing in the short term, in the next few months, off-takers in place, we're nine to 12 months away from production. This time next year, we could be talking about a first commercial production delivery, right? So that means that when that happens, we're a producer. That revenue, after we pay back the loan, of course, that's a free cash flow to develop the company and develop our products. And that becomes also very interesting from a would-be purchaser or buyer even scosing. So hopefully the share price will reflect accordingly and that's an opportunity to, to grow the company even further. So uh, once you become a producer, because the mine is fully built and we only need $30 million, a near-term operator, that's a very attractive proposition for other companies out there who, who want that cash cow. How about yeah. uh, investor awareness, Mark? Not a lot of people know about this story. What do you expect to do as far as awareness work over the next three to four months to get more investors aware of the Scozinc narrative? I, I think like this time last year, before we met with FanCamp, we were starting to promote the company, although we're in the midst of COVID and all those uh, issues and difficulties with meeting people. And we did a lot of it online, but then FanCamp came along and we really didn't need to do very much uh, from an IR point of view. We're still working away on many other things, as you you know, but the investor awareness uh, 
uh, from our point of view, was all about FanCamp and what they were doing. And so since that's been concluded now, we're back on where we were this time, essentially last year, in promoting the company. Uh, we have uh, VRIC coming up, Vancouver Resource Investment Conference coming up. We have PDAC coming up. We're doing more interviews and news now on from our engagement point of view with uh, readers and listeners and so forth, like, like yourself, uh, who love the story and like seeing the development we're doing. And it's a measured development. And others who just never heard of it. Most of my days uh, discussing or talking with uh, groups about this company that they've never heard of, which is kind of unusual considering you know, it's been around for 10 years. But you know, some of the things of the past, the Gaze River underground operation, water problems, this is a very different um, project from the 70s and 80s. It's an open pit operation. The company is quite different. We have new leadership. We have a new board. You know, we're going through a process of changing our name as part of the strategies uh, that I presented to the board early on as part of me coming on as part of a rebranding, bringing the company forward in essentially not forgetting the past, but we're moving on from um, some of those things because uh, it's not only Scozinc. The company, as I see it, is has lots of different revenue opportunities, um, zinc, lead, and gypsum, as you know. I think there's a few others in there in the mix, so we don't really need to be called Scozinc anymore. Um, so that's part of the name change. And that's part of where we see the investor awareness coming in, part of the rebranding, part of the marketing, getting our story out there. We're going to have a new website coming up soon with that new branding we're going to be attending more events as part of that as well and engaging engaging more with uh, potential investors and, of course, updating our investors uh, with regular news flow and corporate updates, which I'm a strong believer of in terms of all our shareholders and the market aware of, of what we're doing. And it really is a measured approach to getting on with uh, developing a company and attracting investors and fixing some of those issues of the past in terms of liquidity and devaluation of the market cap. So I think we've got the right approach. Uh, it's not cheap, of course, um, and it takes a lot of time. And But frankly, I enjoy doing that. I, I, this is one of the nicest companies I've had the pleasure of running with. Uh, I've got a great board. I've got a great team. We're going to build the team more and more as we go through this process of, of course, uh, developing the mine and uh, the C-suite group as well. So that's good things looking forward to in the next 12 months at least. Well, Mark, let's leave it there. I'm going to give mm -hmm. you one more chance here to talk to the audience for a moment here. For potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, market cap of Scozinc stands at about 11.5 million Canadian here. What would you say to them about considering this company as a potential zinc production vehicle? Well, I'd say we're considerably undervalued in terms of the other juniors out there or, if you like, developers. So we're a near-term producer who has a market cap of orders below the enterprise value of the project. And we're just going through that process of correction. And I'd love for your audience and some of your investors to, to take advantage of that unknown situation, if you like, a largely unknown situation, and become an investor and follower of the story as we as we work through this. This is a good entry point now. Anything under like a dollar, I think, is excellent. You're looking at multiples on where this company should be. It should really have a market cap of between 30 and 60 million right now. The financing and will uh, and the offtake will help to correct that. Moving past the fan camp scenario really gives a clear path for investors to see where we're going. The milestones are coming up to get on board. 
we'd invite everybody to follow us on LinkedIn. We we post on social media, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And of course, we have the website, which is up to date. I encourage everybody to look at that and, and reach out to us and ask any questions. I'm happy to engage with shareholders individually or as a group to, to discuss that. Looking forward to telling the good story and the opportunity for investors to be involved in. And the best way for investors to reach out to the company, Mark? Through our website is always the best. Um, we have a phone number there that you know, we have our, our office in, in Halifax that take calls and messages. Info at scozinc.com, the best way. And that goes to uh, myself and Simon Candrea, who's our VP of IR. And he's very good at uh, following up on those and engaging with groups so we can have some meaningful discussions. So very happy to talk to interested parties and, and explain this is a pretty good opportunity for investors alike. Mark, well, thanks for coming back and taking the time with us. Uh, let's get this mine up and in operation, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, Andrew. And thank you to everyone who's listening. 